Listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name's Kevin Schmidlin, and today I'm talking with Todd Carmichael, the co-founder and CEO of La Colombe Coffee Roasters. La Colombe was founded as a small cafe in Rittenhouse in 1994, and today features 30 cafes across the country. Todd also invented the canned draft latte, which in only one year was found in 60% of all U.S. stores. In the first episode of this two-part series with Todd, we talked about his near-death experiences as he trekked across Antarctica. Here, we'll talk about his time hosting Dangerous Grounds on the Travel Channel and how he and his camera crew got into some equally sticky situations. So we got back in the boat push it out as quiet as we can and we bought maybe seven and i'm like okay we're out here and then they're lighting bullets up coming across the lake we'll also hear the story of how the canned draft latte was inspired by his son eating whipped cream out of a can and i said okay first this is whipped cream you gotta know this right first never do it like this shake it right shake shake open your mouth and i blasted in his mouth some whipped cream and that's all i needed and we'll talk much more about Philly and how La Colombe wouldn't be worth a billion dollars without that good old brotherly love. I walked in and I'd like to meet the mayor. I mean, literally, this is how naive I was. And he brought me in. I said, I'm thinking about starting my business here. And he went, what? Like this Ed, I always remember because he had a hoagie, he pulled it out and he gave me half. All this about Todd, the draft latte, his time as a TV star, and what Philadelphia has meant to him. Now on Philly Who. I'm your host, Kevin Schmidlin. Stay tuned. If you listen to the first episode with Todd, you'll know there's a decent amount of cursing here. And if you haven't, go do that now. So by now, you've already heard Todd's first-hand account of his experience setting the solo world record of fastest trek to the South Pole. But I bet if you dig deep enough into the interwebs, you could see it all too. That's because Todd filmed his adventure over the 39 days and National Geographic turned it into an award-winning documentary. This would prove to only be the beginning of Todd's career as a television adventurer as he would go on to host two seasons of Dangerous Grounds on the Travel Channel. The key difference here though is that these trips weren't just for fun. This time, he was going to the most inaccessible places in the world in search of the greatest coffee. I'd been doing that the whole time anyway. You were right? always sourcing coffee from yeah, the hardest to reach places. Well, it, you know, obviously when we first started, like anywhere was the hardest to reach place because you didn't have GPS, you didn't have cell phones, we didn't have internet, we didn't have any of this stuff. You, you didn't go to the library and go, Brazil, coffee, you know, there's no way. So you would have to go to, you know, to some major town and just rent a truck and drive. And then it got harder and harder to find the same juice. You know what I'm saying? So then you start moving out into the harder and tougher areas. Um, and, but it was, you know, like three a year kind of thing, you know? Um, and what was happening is then they invent the cell phone and then they invent the video camera on the cell phone. And I'm bringing this stuff back to Lauren. I go, check this. Like I was in Columbia coming in on a tiny aircraft. And it's just, you know, it looks like one of these drug airports where it's just, it's just a, you know, a path cut into the jungle. And there's two other like local people behind me, but with, I mean, literally chickens, these, there's little ladies with chickens. There's me 
and the pilot's barefooted, right? So, and I'm just like, <laughs> this, and I'm like, this is, I got to show her this. This is just so amazing. And we come in too hot. We flip the plane, right? So it's fucking just tumbles and tumbles. And all. Everyone's okay. Plane's fucked, right? And, but I got the whole thing on video. So I bring it back and I'm showing these things to Lauren. And uh, it was after, Antar uh, after Antarctica. And I, I collected a lot of video as a diary for Lauren and our, our family was coming. She took it to a production house and they turned it into a documentary film that won the LA Film Festival. So now TV all wants me to become the next, you know, Survivor Man. Oh, but gotcha. I, Bear Grylls. I don't want to do that. I just, I just said, no, I'm, I don't want to. No, I'm really happy with the career I have. And so she was in a conversation with one of these people and says, check out these videos. You should do something like this. So Lauren calls me up. She goes, where are you going next? And I go, uh, like two or three weeks. I'm thinking of going into Haiti. She goes, well, would you mind going with a, uh, with a camera guy? Camera guy or two, like two camera guys. And I was like, you know, and I said, sure. And they go, it's going to be a pilot for a show. Yeah. And I said, all right. And I thought, this is not going to do anything. I think people are going to be bored with this, right? And we shot the first episode, and it was it was quite amazing because, you know, one guy wanted to kill me, and it was just like everything fucking went wrong, you know? So, like, it was just like, so it looked. And then next thing you know, I did I was doing TV for three years. You know, I just, yeah, I just. And then when the third year came, there was discover, uh, conversations, but I, I decided to, to bow out because, um, I really wanted to build this plant in Michigan for the draft latte, and I didn't think I could do both well. So I picked one. So what was, what was the biggest challenge, before we talk about the latte, what was the biggest challenge of, um, of having a TV show, of hosting? Like, what, was there any surprise challenges that you weren't expecting? Yeah, I think the, the biggest challenge is to keep it as real as possible. That's really a big challenge with TV because it's, I think it's easier to keep it real if not a lot of people are watching it. But if people start watching it, then the, the, the channel and everyone else wants to come in and, and control it. Um, but I just have a huge advantage over everybody else. You know, you can't keep up. It's like, I'm, I'm going to blow out. The first season, you know, they, they'll say like, oh, could you eat in like two restaurants or places? And, and if you can, ride a goat or whatever. Yeah. You know, they, they, have a, they have the wish list, right? And you go, that's cool. I mean, I get it, right? Right? <laughs> like, whatever. They wouldn't say ride a goat. but No, I know. But, but they would just, I mean, I get the sentiment, yeah. And, but second season, they really wanted to touch it. So, for example, if you watch like the Brazil or the Bolivia episode, see, I booked the flights through Bolivia and I think, I forget where we were going to go. They had an entire crew waiting there for me. We never showed up. I got off in Bolivia and we shot it there. And they were pissed, but it was as real as hell. And that's why that episode's so great. So, the challenge is in, in reality TV is to keep it real. And yeah, it's, it's harder than it sounds. But third season, they just cut me loose. Then they said, okay, this guy's not going to behave. So of all those times, I mean, what was, what was the moment? And, you know, this could go back to Antarctica. What point in your life so far have you most been convinced that you were going to die? DR Congo. Because, you know, you got about 14 different factions in there. And I was crossing from Rwanda. And everyone was shooting everyone else in the face. And we just got caught up in, the, in live. First time I've ever been caught up in live fire. Like, like and when you go, oh shit! And I, I, I carry like a fucking, you know, a jackknife. I don't carry right. weapons, right. you know. And I thought, oh, I'm fucked. And so what happened? I mean, you walk, you're yeah. going around, and you just start hearing fire. And what do you do? 
Yeah, well, th- th- what we knew is that the groups were fighting each other, not us. So the best thing to do in that scenario is lay on your face and hopefully don't step on you in the Kampai. And so we waited out about two and a half hours, waiting quiet, quiet, quiet. And then, uh, now, to get across the Rwandan border from Rwanda to DR Congo, it's really, really hard. Um, but you have Lake Kivu, and it's a very smallish kind of lake. So we we skirted around on the lake. We are in a boat. So we had this boat all moored up. And uh, so we got back in the boat, pushed it out as quiet as we can. And we bought maybe, seven, and I'm like, fuck, okay, we're out here. And then they're lighting bullets up coming across the lake. But it was very clear that they weren't shooting at us. They were just scaring us away because uh, they could have fucking killed us. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. yeah. So you got away. Yeah, I got away with that one. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that got away. Man, <laughs> I got away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, and it's the coolest part is it's all chronicled online. You can go watch all those episodes. Yeah, a lot of you, yeah. So do you ever go back and watch them? I don't because I, I'm such a perfectionist. I think, oh man, I should have said this. I should have said that. I mean, <laughs> when they're when they're cutting them, you know, I get to sign off on them, so I see the cut version, and then we don't, you know, I don't really watch it. The but some of the stuff, some of the greatest things never get caught on film, you know, the, um, you know, it's some of the most outrageously dangerous things can't be filmed. Like, yeah, what's you know, one thing that happened that you couldn't catch? Like, you know, all right. For example, you get caught up in a situation where it's just all poppy fields, all for opium. And these fucking guys are pulling you out of a truck. The last thing you're doing is, Hey, let's film this. You know, it's like, and you're just, you're swung around, you're on the ground. You just think, Oh shit, here we go. You know, you're, you're wondering, you know, I mean, most of the time, I mean, the worst things that ever happened is you just get beat really hard. I mean, everybody, that's what they want to do to you. Because if you've really been beaten sufficiently where you could still kind of get up and drive out of there, you're not coming back, right? Um, and so you, you're kind of looking for the signs and this is no fun, but you're going to survive it. Um, sometimes when you're not getting beat, that's the scariest one because they're going to just go right to the list off these guys. Particularly when they start screaming, you CIA, CIA, CIA. Oh, fuck. You start oh, hearing so that. So they think that you are like the feds or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you convince them that you're not? You don't. <laughs> you don't. They're not going to believe anything you say. You take your hat off. The first thing I do is I always take my hat off. So I look much older, right? I don't look so aggressive. And you just let them rip through your shit. You know, it's like that's, And they just see all your shit and they realize, what the fuck? And then you start answering their questions. Just tell them that you're looking for coffee. Wow. So let's talk about the draft latte. Uh, I saw the statistic that within 12 months of the draft latte being released, you were in 62% of, what was it, grocery stores? Yeah, store. Well, of stores. Yeah, stores. Yeah, that includes mass and convenience and club and yeah, just stores across America. How did the idea for the canned latte come to you? First, it started with criticism. You know, when I looked at your own I, criticism yeah I, I started looking at something we were doing and i realized we've been doing it wrong for 15 years so it's see it was middle 90s someone came in the cafe and said hey can i get a nice latte and i thought that was the craziest thing i'd ever heard of i mean I, i'm way older than you let me just tell you that was like hearing can i have a hot beer you know it's like no wow. one had ice and coffee together it just wasn't your brain didn't go there but of course I, I made something but i made it out of concocting something from the hot environment so it's a Nespresso and hot milk and blah, I made it. Um, and I was looking at a 
someone it was i was in new york and i looked at one on the bar and it's and someone said ice latte to go and i went holy shit that's not a latte because a latte is three ingredients not two it's concentrated coffee like espresso milk and the third ingredient is vapor vapor we put we put water vapor in there that's a hot latte but you can't obviously use water vapor in the cold environment so we eliminated the texture so i looked at that and realized god i've been doing this wrong forever i gotta get the vapor back in that thing and so in a very short period of time i came up with the draft latte on tap yeah compressed nitrous oxide injected into the milk and then you create the and i love the mouthfeel and it went great and it was someone who I know says, listen, if you could figure out how to put that in a can, man, you could, you can, you can change the world. And he used those words. Well, it's funny because that's what I want to do, right? So I went, holy shit, then I better do that. And you know, like when you're, you're working in a problem in the background, your mind is constantly turning and turning and then the world just hands you the answers yeah. piece by piece. Oh, totally. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and my wife always, she can always tell when I'm working on something like this and. Was really in the early morning i can't remember why i was like four i had to go somewhere and i'm going in her her bathroom looking you know i shouldn't be i'm, I'm looking for like shaving cream right because i'm out or whatever yeah <laughs> and i find hers i find like you know the chick gel right yeah yeah and i realized that the bottom of that gel can is is an actual valve and i look at it for a while and thought hmm now i didn't think directly of the draft latte but i remember thinking that's funny i never knew that cans could have valves on them that's interesting right that was it couple days later still trying to think about texturized milk my son at the time was four years old i was teaching him how to eat out of a refrigerator like every man you know should teach his son As the you proper should. way to graze in the refrigerator that's right and what what to go for what not to touch right like see that mom counts those yeah right? over here doesn't count these and then i saw whipped cream and i said okay first this is whipped cream you got to know this right first never do it like this shake it right shake shake open your mouth and i blasted in his mouth some whipped cream and that's all i needed that was it my it was my wife's shaving and my son teaching my son how to eat and then uh i guess about four days later uh, i had a working model and two weeks later i was pitching crown cork and cork and seal to build a plant to accommodate at making a can with a valve in it wow and then, and then within a year you're at 62 percent. yeah well and then there was then i had to build a small plant then i had to build the big plant but yeah i think it was like door to door from like standing at that refrigerator to launching in let's say you know like whole foods and targets and wagmans was maybe 20 months yeah yeah wow so when you get that moment you're like i know what i want this to be do you just like like that's never been done before right no what's the first step you take i mean you go oh, and you yeah. find somebody that can make a whipped cream can and say hey can you do coffee instead like how do you what's the first no. step you take well see what i had done i think it's really important that you make a prototype okay you have to make a prototype because you're you cannot you've got an image in your mind and it's almost impossible to convey the image unless it's three-dimensional and it's operational so i took a beverage can i drilled a hole in the bottom i put a volleyball valve in it i put a double you know put cold brew espresso, concentrated espresso real milk seamed it took a nitrous oxide tank with a pin, you know, a pin that put it in there, injected it with 35 pounds of uh, pounds per square inch of nitrous oxide, waited three minutes, opened it, poured it, it foamed like a bitch, right? So then I made a case of them and I went in and I made sure that I had some friends who were contacting the board of this aluminum canyon manufacturing company, that I had their CEO, COO, their CFO, everybody in the room. And all I did was open those fucking cans and say, this 
is going to save your company. This is your future. And I pitched like a fucking whore. I mean, like, I just, I mean, I was pitching. Yeah. And they agreed. Yeah. They were right. Now, I had to edge them along. Yeah. And, what kind of convincing did that take? Well, I had to do the machine. I had to figure out the die sets that would actually make that work. I had to commit to a number of cans. Um, and then you see that the, the, the patents and stuff are around the can, but then I had to actually invent the machines that could process this for a factory. So I didn't really know how to do that. So I said, all right, I'm gonna build a small footprint one in Port Richmond. There's a, a, a draft latte making line there that can do 5,000 cases a week. So I finally figure out all that. I mean, we're, it's just basically working with my hands and a couple guys and just welding and trying and die cutting and just, so we figured, okay, all the way to get it shelf stable. Then of those 5,000 cases, I took all my, you know, I hired the best, best representative and sales guys in the country. And I just fed them, get rid of 5,000 cases a week, go to every retailer, show up, pitch them. So they were pitching these guys, the, uh, all the drinks before I had actually even started building the big plant. So we built up as much freaking demand and just kept visiting and visiting. So I've got sales guys on the road, no product, no factory yet. Find a factory in, in northern or in western Michigan. It's an old yogurt factory. Gut it and restart the big factory. Now that one could do full tilt. That one can do a billion cans a year. Brilliant. Right. It's I built big. It's not a tiny thing. It's and it's state of the art. And by the time their resets and grocery happened, and by the time I mean their demands at a feverish pitch, the first trucks were leaving and just went, oh my god. So it rose like it came out of nowhere. Yeah. Wow. That's how it happened. <laughs> Take note, everybody who's looking to develop a product. <laughs> Start with the free. If you can do one, just do yeah. one. If you get that one, you then can you can convince the world. You can convince the world then and make it out of, you know, I mean, 3D mold and, you know, do everything you can. You can, you know, the first one, all in, I guess that was maybe $1,500 to make the first one. That's what it took. And now, you know, they say it's a billion dollar brand. So you go, well, okay, you know, make your prototype. Say it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're now 25 years into La Cologne. Yep. You planted your roots in Philly, 1994, it's 2018. La Cologne has changed like crazy. So has Philly. Yeah, we both have. In yeah. what ways is it most apparent to you how Philly has changed in the past 25 years? Well, you know, big parts of Philly have changed, not all of it. Um, you know, the, you know, I hate to say this in this way, but the haves have done really well in Philly. You know, the, I think there's, you know, the middle class has gone stronger. And I think that the, uh, the upper class has done even better. I think those areas of our city have improved. Um, I think that in the general safety of the city is different. The, the brand and the feeling of the city, the sense of momentum. And, um, you know, the, I think that it's, it's now really, Philly used to think of like Montgomery County as this as competition. Now it's starting to think of like Chicago, New York, and DC. It's it's kind of accepted its big boy pants, and um, and it's starting kind of moving forward with with that concept. There's still this there's still this kind of second class citizenry kind of brand. It's it, it or kind of like residue. It's got to get rid of. Yeah. But um, you know, I mean, the first month I was in Philly, I got mugged twice. You know, I mean, this was what it was. And it's hard. You don't hear about people getting mugged in Philly anymore. Um, it, it was just, it was, a, it was a place that had been really, really run down. And was, 
you know, it was, it was down on this luck. And it's definitely not that anymore. We were talking earlier about how Philly has this, some, sometimes Philly can have this apologetic attitude or, or almost like an inferiority type of thing. I know why that is though. Why is that? Because half our people are poor. It's our original sin because we can't, we can't be proud of ourselves when half the population is living in misery. It's just factual. You know, I don't want to be down on Philly. It's just factual. You know, if we didn't, if we could address this issues in a real way, we wouldn't feel this way. You know, you're fucking up, you know, you're sinning, you know, we're doing things that aren't right. So how can you be proud? Right? I think that if we could, if we could turn that around, we could invest in our schools and our communities and we could, we can address our kind of the racial inequalities that we have and the income inequalities that we have, then we would be a lot prouder, but we can't quite yet. I mean, hopefully, um, I'm hopefully part of that solution and we can move forward, but we're living with the original sin of mass poverty. Yeah. How can you be proud of that? It's true. It's very true. Now you bring up a good point and you know, it's like, it's a this, total downer thing to no, say, it's tr- but it's I true. I mean, <laughs> and, and we've, you know what, I think every single podcast episode we've had so far, we've talked about this, how, you know, Philly has, has indeed gone through a renaissance in the past 25 years in certain parts. In places. That's in places. correct. And yeah. it's very easy to hide from the fact that for most of the city, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So I think that's both, uh, you know, it's, it's daunting for sure. And it is a downer, but we have to talk about it. We have to be aware of we it. Really we really do. I mean, and particularly, you know, those, those people, you know, and I'm going to include, you know, myself in that, that, that let's face it. I mean, La Colombe would not exist without Philly. And so I have a, a responsibility to make sure that I don't give fucking back and know that I just, that I, yeah, I, I play my role. This is what you're here for. You know, I mean, it's like that I share. There you go. That I be a part of the solution. That I, that I don't just like close the doors. You know, it's like everyone's running for safety, and then at some point, someone was trying to close the garage doors on everyone. They're like, you're on the outside. Screw you. No, 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 no. Now, this is where we make sure that we help people in, help people in. And you know, in Philadelphia, I get it. I get the feeling that some business leaders and some wealthy people, and they're trying to close the door off to those people that are still stuck outside. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier how you are an outspoken CEO. And yeah, it's true. Has it always been important to you to voice your opinions, regardless of how controversial they may be to potential customers? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think it's really important to be a decent person. And I think that, you know, a brand is, is, is supposed to be a personality. Um, and I want to make sure that the personality of, of La Colombe is that of a decent person. Um, and that requires that you, you speak out. Um, I, I think that neutrality is culpability when it comes to certain things. And that I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. And I want the luck alone to be a part of it. So it means that you can't sit, you can't be quiet and be a part of the solution. You simply can't. Um, and if, I don't know, if some, somebody doesn't like my lattes because I think that we need to fund our schools, then fuck him. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's kind of what I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's... He, um, I just like, I just, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll just take that latte in the guts. Um, it, yeah. I, I, we know what I hope is that instead, the, you know, La Colombe is growing at 350% right now, right? 
And that's a pretty good clip. I mean, it's a pretty good clip. And so that's, so when I use my voice, I want other CEOs to realize, hey man, it's not such a bad thing for your business to be decent. Yeah. yeah. To weigh in on things. Are you good with, you know, the U.S. government ripping brown babies from their moms on the, on the border? You think that's a good thing? Oh, I'm neutral on that. I'm neutral on that, really. Right? I'm not neutral on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's really hard for me not to be anything other than loud about it. Yeah. You know? Interestingly, though, you recently, in a stance uh, in favor of better privacy on social media, went dark. Yeah. Actual total delete. Deleted, yeah. Deleted, yeah. Gone. So, but recently even back. Yeah, I played with it a little bit and then, then actually deleted the whole thing. Oh, so you're completely dark now. Yeah, because I had some conversations with Twitter and I felt, I felt like they were moving in the right direction. And then, then I was assured that I, I'm not that comfortable with it. So gotcha. I, I then deleted it. So I wanted to, I'm curious, do you think that that at all diminishes your ability to reach somebody who may be able to see your activity on Twitter and, and hear your voice and see you know, a CEO who's standing up for these things? No, I don't think anyone's learning anything on social media. I don't think so. I don't, you know, I mean, I could give you, you know, everyone is just screaming in the darkness and it's just a bunch of loud voices. You know, if I retweet something or say something, no one's having an epiphany anywhere. So the best voice you can have is to delete it. That's the only voice you have. That's all, that, yeah. that's all that's left. That's the biggest statement you can so make. So imagine if everyone who thought like me deleted Facebook and Twitter today, you know how fucking loud that would be? That would be amazing. Because if you go, hey, I saw this on Politico, you know, you know, or whatever it is, it's just the same, you know, rehashing of the same stuff that you go, it's, it's no longer, you know, as a business, I wouldn't say, I think it's like, if you're in that conversation of, of, you know, here, you know, hey, here's a shirt you don't need to tuck in, or uh, here's a subscription of a shaver, or here is a La Colombe's new flavor of, I mean, it's just neutral and like that. Okay, I get it. That's, that's okay. I'm fine. But if it, you're there in order to, to, to share an important message with other people, no one is listening. So why participate? And then ultimately, they're also pulling data from you that they're going to use, the metadata, to compromise democracy. It's just, let's get, get real. They're going to make laws eventually. That to, that this is going to be something they're going to read about in the history books. So actually, by being on, you're actually making a negative effect. By leaving, it's your only positive, it's the only chip you have. So I say... I said to me myself, if that's my only chip, I'm ready to cash it in. Yeah. So how then, how are you going to be expressing your voice? Analog. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to do, I'll be doing some podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> and there you go. No, I right think, here. I think podcast is a great platform. Um, I think writing is a really important platform. I, I write a lot of op-eds. Uh, I want, I want to write books. Um, I, you know, I, I get asked to, to do lots of lectures. So, uh, you know, on a monthly basis, I may have three major lectures in, in large halls. So I'm deciding to use that platform. I'm thinking again about doing another t television series, something a little bit more local, hopefully, uh, or at least film locally. Right. <laughs> and kind of just go old school analog. And, and then, you know, there's something that happens, you know, if you, if you, if your company gets to a certain size, you get, you know, I have a thousand employees who... Each, each of these baristas speak to thousands of people and they're injected in the same kind of sauce that I am that you realize that just by doing your business and talking with people that I'm having way, I think, a larger effect 
Um, now, for me, it's about civic responsibility. It's not about politics. It's about doing something that's right and decent, right? Or things that are. But sometimes what I believe in overlaps political, you know, political things. So I have the privilege of, of going to the Senate. I, I can speak to the Senate. I speak to Congress people. You know, I've been in the freaking Oval Office. So I'm using this constantly to my to my benefit. And when I tweet something from the New York Times and a bunch of people tell me it's fake news, I just go, all right, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going analog. I can't take it anymore. So you, know? yeah, you bring up, this echoes something that you have called the bane of your existence. Uh, the the illusion, you know, this the internet age, social media, we call it being connected, but it's an illusion, right? I believe it's an illusion, yeah. La Colombe doesn't have Wi-Fi in its cafes. No, it does not. Mm -mm. How hard have you had to fight to keep that role? Well, you know, it's there's a luxury of, you know, being a, a bit of a activist CEO is that I, I don't have to fight. I just, it's, that's, people yell at me. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I stopped looking at Yelp because you just, you know, I just, I can't bear it anymore. You know, it's, um, but at the same time, yeah, connect, to be connected to a human means being able to see their 3D figure and, and smell them and touch them and feel them and now you're connected. Like right now, I feel very connected to you. Um, Twitter, Facebook is just, it's a dim shadow of reality. And to pass the 3D one up for the dim shadow, you know, I, I don't know why people would do that. Maybe it's safer. But ultimately, what I'm doing here, and the reason I don't offer Wi-Fi is this. Every cafe is a, is a, is a little universe that I've created. And you're, you're, this, you know, you're this person that comes in. To the, you, you know, the universe has been created for you to have a certain experience. And then you want to leave but keep your body there. And I'm like, no, no, no. If you're in the universe, I really want you to experience the universe. You know, it's like... It's like wearing duct tape or your eyes and going to a museum. Like, you know, the, the curator is going to be angry with you. He's going to say, hey, hey, no duct tape allowed, right? Staring at your phone screen the whole time. I just, come on, man, just take it in five minutes. You know, please just look around. Um, I think that the data world will win out because eventually we're not going to need Wi-Fi. And so I don't know what I'm going to do then. But, uh, and it's not that I'm against it. I mean, I go online all day long at work, you know but I, I want you to have an experience. I want you to meet your next boyfriend or girlfriend. I want you to meet your next best friend. I want you to talk about the game with somebody next to you. I want you someone to, to you know, hook you into the sound that they're listening to on their iPad. I want you to converse. You know, the, the third spot isn't the second working space. The, the third spot is just, should be a, a protected zone and a curated experience, like a whole full universe and one in which Maybe you get to meet someone cool. So I'd like to ask you some questions that I ask all my guests just to get the different perspectives. Um, what would you say is a common misconception about you? Oh, yeah. Common, that, I, that I'm an adrenaline junkie. You're not? No, I hate adrenaline. Really? Yeah, yeah. I love adventure. What's the difference? Uh, adrenaline is what you feel when you jump off the space needle with a handheld parachute that's adrenaline you know adventure is what you feel when you're standing on top of a mountain they're very different you know endurance and adventure can be can 
you find a harmony in the, in the, in its difficulty. And adrenaline is when you almost get shot in the face, right? And, and I'll live through those experiences, but it's not what I'm looking for. It's not why you're yeah. there. No. You know, one is like, um, and the other one is cocaine. Yeah. Right. It's just like, you go, okay, very different experiences. I'm looking for more of, um. If you could send, other than just sheer words of encouragement, if you could send a message to your past self at any point, would you? And if so, at what point and what would you say? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think about this very often. It's always time travel. You know, I think, man, I wish I can go back and tell him. Um, you know, there, that everyone's life is, is bumpy, you know, the, um, and there have been bumpy bits. And in those bits, I've, I've lost confidence or, or I've, I'm start moving towards losing confidence in, in the process and my path. And there are times that I can go back and say, bro, don't worry, just chill, just keep going. I, I did keep going, but I carried this burden of anxiety with me. You know, there, you know, there, you, you can't live to 55 and push the boundaries I've pushed so far. I've almost lost my company three, four times. I've almost lost my life a dozen times. And that comes with consequences. I should just say, chill, this is just part of it, you know? So do you try to, that, that's a lot easier to talk about now, you know, in hindsight. Do you go through those experiences in the present day where you have to sort of take a minute and say to yourself, like sort of, you know, receive that proverbial message from you in the future? Yeah, I, that's, see, I love that. This is how I get through tough times. I, I literally visit myself. I do. I, I project this guy and he comes back and goes, Todd, you know, it's like, come on, I'm going to give you a little perspective here. And you know what? I always find the guy from the future comes back. Turns out we invented a new cream that you can grow your hair back. <laughs> and this guy has got a great head of hair. I knew it. I knew I would get it back. No, the, uh, yeah, no, this is, you know, when you're, again, I mean, it's just the, you know, people are humans are humans. And I think there's a lot of CEOs out there that like to pretend they're not. We, everyone suffers from the same foibles. You know, the same worries, the same concepts about your kids, about, you know, and it, it just doesn't matter how much the company's doing or anything like that. It's just, you, you have all these human factors that come in, right? And, you know, you watch these CEOs lecture and like, yes, then I walked across Antarctica, the, the blah, 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 and you bleed like, like it's, everything was just, just imagine you doing it. It's, it feels just the same. Yeah. There's never a lot of that relief. And so I use that time travel mechanism. The, he, the guy from the future will probably come back to the guy right now and say the same shit I'm saying to this guy, not the one in the back yeah. saying, Todd, just trust the process. Trust the process. It's okay. I'm always looking for boogeymans. And my family motto is I was nervous and I was afraid, but I did it anyway. And all my kids say it and I say it and I, and I apply it to myself all the time. Yeah. So I'd like to say to the guy, hey, you know, don't be nervous. Don't be afraid because you're going to do it anyway. We kind of touched on this, but what do you think is the biggest challenge facing Philadelphia today? It must address its poverty. It must address its educational system. It's broken. And we are, uh, we are shirking our responsibilities to our children. Uh, we, 
But those are the two main things. We we need to stop companies from paying employees predatory wages. You know, um, you can't survive in seven twenty-five an hour. It should be illegal. It's immoral. It's wrong. We have to address the the health issue of the city. You know, if you look at our rates of diabetes and our rates of of uh, you know cardiac issues, etc., and you relate them directly to poverty and education and lack of this, this is wrong. You know, this is this is the gilded age of the top twenty-five percent of Philly. Okay, I agree. But what we need to do is transition into that next phase where there's more of us underneath the freaking awning. And, you know, I think, I think that, you know, I tried very hard and I worked with a lot of men to try to get Amazon to come here. But you know what? The schools suck. There's no way they're coming. They look at our schools and they say, I'm not going to. And look at, look at how people are being remunerated for work. You know, we keep trying to sweep this issue under the rug and we want to be a main player in the city. We're not going to be until we put our big boy pants on and solve the big boy problems. You know, and, and we have, I get it, you know, 25 years ago, we didn't have the buoyancy. We didn't have the leverage. We didn't have, you know, the things that we have at our disposition now to, to solve those problems. But now that we do, we have to. No more it's just it. Or this is, this is it. This is it. You know, and you go, okay, whereas other cities you know, that, that address these issues. I mean, look at, the, you know, the state of California and the state of Washington, the state of New York, you know, they're addressing these issues and they're actually growing faster than we are because they're attracting companies. No one wants to put a company in a city where they can't send their kids to school. I mean, it's just a basic thing. And I frankly have a hard problem living in a city where we're good with all the poverty. And so, yeah, I'm going to be a dick about it more and more as we, we go. I feel like that's the only way to actually change anything. Yeah. And I don't think talking about it on Twitter is going to take me anywhere. So what I do is I just go full start press. You know, this particular mayor, I love him. And then this, the city council, they're good. I meet them once a week. Seriously. I am, I am, they love and hate me. Yeah. Um, and I want to see what I can do. Uh, you know, I, I think what we've done is we've decided to treat, you know, the, our companies like they're fragile. Like, oh my God, if we tax them, if we actually ask them to participate in, 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 you know, the recovery of our city and the rest of our citizens, they'll run away. Yeah, like where? Allentown? Where are they going to go? They could look at any place they're going to go and the taxes are higher. They're here to stay, baby. Do you think Comcast is going to jerk those two buildings out and put them somewhere else? <laughs> they're not. Okay, no, so let's get serious and solve our problems. This was a problem 25 years ago. There weren't a lot of businesses that were fragile. They were just hanging on, right? But today, let's make them pay. In other words, raise my taxes. My name is Todd Carmichael. Fucking raise my taxes now. Raise the taxes on my business. Raise the tax on me. And give it to the people who actually need it. Yeah. That's what I think we should do. So, on the flip side. Yeah. What do you think is the most encouraging thing about Philadelphia today? Well, it's the thing that I'm finding most encouraging. And the, the, the people that I really owe... Uh, a big th thanks for the success of La Colombe is this, this younger generation. Um, you know, what they've actually done is this younger generation, they call them the millennials, right? Yeah. Um, Not so much anymore. Millennials are but, getting up to 40. <laughs> I know, right? But no, but I, that's what I'm saying. I love these guys. But the millennials, are, it's, a, it's a concentrated psychographic that also kind of ex now is extended, yeah. you know? Because when I started in 93 and like 2000, 93 and 2000, when I really was leaning towards 
some of these things like I want to work directly with a farmer to make sure there's no middlemen. I want to make sure that my farmers get water. I want to make sure, and these very basic ideas, I want to make sure that my employees have health insurance and I want to make sure my product didn't have pesticides in it. So it was an idea that, that got no purchase. My, no one gave a shit. Most like whatever. How much does it cost? That's it. <laughs> That's it. It was just like, what? Then this audience came along that got it. And I didn't have to do anything special. Suddenly I just felt like Neil Young, you know, it was like, Suddenly, I'm old and still cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I, okay, all right. <laughs> just, it's just, or I'm cooler now than I ever was. It's just amazing. Um, and this, and now the Z that's coming behind it, they're taking their doubling down on that. And this is the most exciting thing. And I know it's not just Philly, but the youth of Philadelphia, they're, they're so mad spot on. You know, they, they get it. They just get it. And I think this generation isn't going to turn the, the, the poor out on the street. This generation isn't going to accept the idea that people get paid, you know, not enough to even feed their own families, even if it's a single child. This, this generation isn't going to settle for that shit. And I look at the, you know, the gun control issues and I look at what they're looking at. I think this is super promising. When this generation is running the big businesses, this fucking place is going to rock. Yeah. That's what I love about Philly. If you could send a text message that would be received and read by every single Philadelphian. Yeah. What would you say? Oh God, dude. <laughs> How many words do I got? <laughs> every single one? Oh shit. Dude, that's a hard question. You could have told me about this question before I had it. I get a chance to think about it. <laughs> you know what? It's uh, uh, Chill actually said when I interviewed him, he's like, these are like the SAT essay questions. You think you're done and then it's another two hours. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Don't you just love Chill, though? He's the man. God, he is. I Check out the Chill Moody episode. Talk so. about a guy who does not quit, right? Yeah. He's Mr. Hustle. Um, what did Chill say? Do you remember? I, I phrase it differently from him. I, I used to say, if you had a billboard that every Philadelphian would see, what would yeah. you put on it? Okay, yeah, that's one. If you want yeah. to answer that one, you can choose that. Oh, that's super easy. Okay, so it shows you how analog I am. Big sign, right? And there's a little dove on it, and it just says, thank you. I would like everyone to know, man, thank you. I didn't think it was, I didn't think this could be, you know, someone's life. And this city has given me everything. There could be none. And it's funny because, you know, people from LA come in, they see a cafe in Philly, they go, oh my God, they have me here in Philly too, right? <laughs> New Yorkers do that. Yeah. Bostonians do that. People from Chicago and like, what they don't realize is that if it weren't for this city, there wouldn't be any Lacombe. It wouldn't be. Not this one. This couldn't have happened anywhere else. You know, it's like Land of the Misfits. In 19, it was, I came here, I moved here at the end of 93, right? With two misfits, with a misfit idea and a misfit city, they knew everybody was desperate. And we did it together. Yeah. yeah. I had a friend here from out of town. We, we walked through the Fishtown Festival this weekend and we walked past. And uh, they walked past headquarters here and they said, what's that? I was like, that's Lachlan headquarters. And they stopped and turned and said, headquarters? Here? And I'm like, yeah. I, that's what I'm saying, right? Here. <laughs> no, because they think it's a Manhattan thing in Manhattan. And I mean, the reason that is, though, is, is not on I mean, we don't do that through branding or anything like right. that. But each cafe is kind of designed to fit its neighborhood. Right, yeah. We don't have like, you know, like Starbucks, you feel like it, you can be anywhere. No yeah, yeah, just the same shit. So, they feel that we're, they're, they're getting what we're doing. So, they feel connected to it. Right. So we're not an outside agent coming in with just the plopping things down. But I don't think that Philly gets the credit it deserves. And I think ultimately that's why I'm saying thank you on the billboard because I go, man, Philly, Ed Rendell, you know what? Listen to this. 
So I'm going to start my business. You know where I went? I went right to Ed Rendell's office. He met with me the day I landed in Philly. Really? I walked in there. I'd like to meet the mayor. I mean, literally, this is how naive I was. And I didn't even know Ed from, you know, the, the lunchroom. I didn't. And he brought me in. I said, I go, I'm thinking about starting my business here. And he went, what? Like, this Ed. Really? Yeah. I always remember, because he had a hoagie. He pulled it out. And he was like, he, had, he gave me half. <laughs> he gave Like, me, literally half. You walk, he, so, you, uh, nobody walks into the mayor's office. Nobody yeah, yeah. at the time, forgive it me. It took but. me like 20 <laughs> minutes to get in there. I mean, they, but I said, hi, I'm from out of town. I'm thinking about putting my business here. And he gave you half his hoagie. He gave me half his hoagie. But, the, it, but see, I think he's always had a hoagie down there. <laughs> so, right, I think there's probably nine more. Right. But, um, and he, and he was happy to tell me about his business action team, his mayor's business action team. And like, and he made me feel connected. He sold me, man. Yeah. And it was, that was the beginning of it. And he, he was there every time we needed him. Yeah. Yeah. So those are my stories from the olden days. So the first 25 years went kind of fast. So I'm wondering if the uh, next 25 go any faster. Yeah. I hope not. I hope they don't go so fast. Yeah. I think, you probably have learned to make it go slower. Yeah, I think that's, you know, being, being a dad is, is very helpful, you know, and and especially the dad of my kids, they're, they're just so extraordinary that there is this, there's this, at least in my outside of work life, it's changing of the guards. You know, now I get up at five in the morning to watch my, my son play hockey and just stand on the glass and watch him live it's the different adventure. North Star. Yeah, and just like you're, you're not even the coach anymore. You're, you're the sport network. Like when you're climbing, I'm the Sherpa, right? And it just gives you a different sense and a different perspective. The you know the next phase, I'd like to bring La Colombe to the rest of the world. The I, I, I'm looking very, and we're looking at Asia, the whole Pacific Rim. Um, there's still Mexico, you, big parts of Europe and Canada to go. So the next phase is let's bring Philly international. For more on Todd, you could head to podphillywho.com forward slash Todd. That's T-O-D-D. If you like the show, as always, be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can also hit up Instagram and Twitter at podphillywho with questions, suggestions, feedback, whatever, just to say, hey, love to hear from you. Music by Lee Rosevier, podcast art by Lauren Carhart. A very special thanks to Todd Carmichael for being a guest on the show. For Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.